Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys, talk to you soon. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place, because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. My name is Eric Skorzynski. I'm Travis Chappell's producer. And on today's episode, we're talking with three incredible guests about how to create positive energy. I know coming into the end of 2020, a lot of our positive energy has probably been drained, but we want to talk about the power of positive thinking, creating positive energy, and really dive into the power of personal development. And these three guests are perfect to talk about it. First up is Philip McKernan. He's the author and founder of One Last Talk. Next up is Aubrey Marcus, founder of Onnit and New York Times bestselling author of Own the Day, Own Your Life. And last but certainly not least is David Meltzer. He's the co-founder and CEO of Sports One Marketing and S1 Media House, two-time number one bestselling author, and he's been named a top 10 keynote speaker by Forbes and Entrepreneur. Like I said, you're going to love this episode, and I hope it gives you some great practical tips and motivation to stay positive, even in the hardest of circumstances. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. It, seem, it seems that we're in an age where um, a lot of this is just more prevalent than it's ever been because of how immediate the 
lack of acceptance can be in terms of like posting something on social media and not getting any likes on it and then talking down on yourself for the next couple of hours because nobody liked your picture and all this nonsense that people attribute their self-worth to. Um, I, I assume that I assume that all of this, I mean, nothing's new under the sun. I assume all of this stuff, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, so you could probably talk into this, that all of this stuff is not just new to the age of social media or more prevalent than it was before. Is it is it something that just is intrinsic inside of us as human beings? Is it something that you know our parents did or society did growing up, or like where, where does that just internal disgust with ourselves come from? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's been exposed by I think social media is, is exposing it to some extent. Um, I, I don't think it's it's just a recent phenomenon, and 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 I and I think when I use things like people sometimes are disgusted in their own skin, they hate each other, they hate themselves, or dislike themselves, or whatever. Don't turn around and listen to this and say, "Hey, that's not me." I'm not even talking about disdain. I'm talking about a sense of just distrust within yourself. Mm-hmm. So when we think about trust, you know, how many people truly trust themselves? Uh, we think about trust as often or almost always external, extrinsic, like in terms of my bank manager, would I trust John with my children? Would I trust this person with the keys of my home? But actually, do we trust ourselves? It comes from a few different places. Number one is, is uh, first of all, going back to school, or, or as I call it, prison. Um, we were never thought ever, when I walked down the corridors of my school, there was never a doorway that says, hey, come in and get to know who you are. And to come in, come in here and begin to explore the world as you see it. We were too busy having information shoved into our face about how the world is hmm. from a historic precedence, geographical perspective, you know, even a, a you know, a, you know, a, a, a poetic perspective, whatever. In other words, everyone else's opinions. Like, but where, where was my sense in all of that? Where is your sense in all that? So again, we're not we're not taught from an early age to understand and to make choices to start to, to start to explore you know, and to, to imagine what's possible for ourselves. Number two is we're too busy trying to fit in. So as we get to the age of 10 years old, if not even sometimes earlier, we start to put on these, uh, you know, these invisible masks on the playground um, to fit in in school. We start to wear them into the house. To, so my dad and my mom would love me and see me the way, you know, I want them to see me, to be proud of me. And before you know it, we're wearing all these different masks and we've, we, 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 we've become the different things we become parts of other people. Modeling is fundamentally has a, has a, has some upside, but a massive dark side. And modeling is when you start to model the bits of all these successful people that you see. And mm. before you know it, you've modeled this guy, that guy, this girl, that girl. And then before you know it, you look in the mirror and you go, well, what part of any of this success is actually me? Mm. And then on top of that, everyone has had trauma. I have not met a human being that hasn't had trauma. And the person that's the most dangerous the person that will struggle with trauma the most is the person that says, hey, I didn't have a traumatic childhood. In fact, my childhood was amazing. Well, you know what? With respect, good luck. If that's mm-hmm. the story you're holding on to, I wish you the best. You cannot navigate this world as a human being without experiencing trauma. The problem with trauma is that what we do is we contextualize it and compare it against somebody else's. So I say, well, hang on, dyslexia is not the biggest deal in the world. When I think about what Travis went through and the car crash or losing his mom or sexual abuse, whatever it happens to be, you know what? Dyslexia was the biggest trauma that I could have gone through because for me, it ostracized me from society. It made me feel completely stupid. It made me feel deep down like there was something deeply broken in me. And the schooling system, and I'm not blaming, I'm just saying school, I don't believe served me at all. But there was no one to wake up a young child and say, hey, buddy, you were born with dyslexia because you've got an amazing gift 
because of dyslexia, you see the world or hear the world in a very different way. My wife says to me, my greatest gift is my ability to listen. I actually believe my ability to hear is extraordinary. And I, what I mean by that is somebody can tell me 10 words, someone can tell me entire story, and what I hear and therefore feel is, some, is often something completely different. So I think it's a number of different things. And then the final piece is every single person on earth does things and has done things in their past that they're deeply ashamed of, that they feel guilty about, but mm. we don't process them. We don't forgive. We don't move through them. We bury them and try to pretend they don't exist. And that comes back to haunt us every single day moving forward. Yeah. So something that you say pretty often, Philip, and uh, I'd like you to expound on is your greatest gift lies next to your deepest wound. And I think that goes along with a couple of things that we were just talking about. So can you expound on what you mean by that? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's basically, I mean, somebody says, why do you do what you do? And people think, you know, I, I set up a coaching business and an event business because I want to either make money or I want to make an impact in the world or whatever. Um, and, and I do want to make an impact in the world. But, it, but in the end of the day, if you really think about it, I'm, a, I'm essentially creating the space for other people who, you know, so they don't have to go through the pain or the disconnectiveness. So for example, like 38 years of my life, I felt I would do it. I was doing everything on this earth for other people rather than me. And at 38 years old, I really started to pivot into the work that I do right now. I'm 46 years old, um, probably even a little bit before that. And now my work is all about wakening people up to what's possible in their own lives to make sure that they don't live with any type of regret today or in the future, that they start to uncover the gift and not just walk this earth executing their talent. Um, but in the end of the day, if, I, if you really think about it, I'm really presenting the world with the things that I didn't have, the mechanisms, the support, the questioning, the, 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 and the ch deep challenging. I deeply challenge my clients, but I also deeply support them. So in many ways, if you want to impact the world, that's great. But if you want to impact the world and align your impact to who you are, so what you're doing is an extension of who you are, what you'll find is the, the, the thing that you bring to the world is the thing that you almost didn't have yourself. The pain that you're trying to alleviate in the world is the pain you experienced yourself. And that's talk, that's alignment in addition to impact, if that makes any mm. sense. Yeah, definitely. So the one, one thing that, that I've been toying with or wondering just through books like yours, through your book, One Last Talk, which is an amazing book, by the way, um, through one last talk, through some of your speeches, and, and really through just a lot of the other connections that I've been able to make um, after starting this show, is if you are in a position where you are not working around something that has to do with that that pain or that secret or that trauma or whatever it was in your past, does that mean that you're doing the wrong thing, or is that just something that you should be aware of and find a way to integrate, integrate that into your life somehow. Like, like, does that make sense? So because totally everybody did their passion, quote unquote, passion, or whatever, then we wouldn't have, you know, dump truck drivers and we wouldn't have janitors. Like pe the world would cease to exist the way that it is because everybody's just out chasing their passion or whatever. But I, I think that there's a level of practicality, but there's also a level of like doing something that fulfills you and makes you happy at the end of the day. So can you talk into that? hundred percent. I'd love to. 
So, you know, here, here's, what I, here, here's what a lot of people have probably heard. Number one, you're doing the wrong thing. And secondly, is my 972-step system to success and passion will actually give you the answer. So the first comment by saying, yes, you're doing the wrong thing, yet again makes us feel inadequate in the world. So if someone's driving a dump truck and they know they don't want to, you know, here's another podcast interview that, that makes me feel even worse and more inadequate about myself. So I'm obviously joking. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. my, my mm-hmm. sense of humor, I need to work on that for sure. <laughs> So are they doing the wrong thing? Absolutely not are they doing the wrong thing. If you want to be a janitor, a painter, a dump truck, even if you don't like it, that is your prerogative. That is your choice. Who am I or any of us to say you're doing the wrong thing? How dare I would never dare say to somebody you're doing the wrong thing. However, however, you need to be in touch with the cost of doing something every day that doesn't bring you joy. And people don't take the time to take a step back. They, they often don't even recognize that there's a cost. You cannot go and do a job for seven, eight hours a day, four, five, six, or even seven days a week and do something you do not want to do without paying a cost. A cost that is, is showing up today, a cost that is going to show up tomorrow, or a cost that is going to manifest itself and explode onto the deathbed when you're, you're taking your last breath and you're looking at your life and you're reflecting back on your life. There is a cost. So be aware of the cost and then make a conscious choice. Is this cost worth taking? That's number one. Number two, and if you say, I'm doing this job every day and I hate it, but it's making me enough money. So in 20 years, I'm going to have the freedom to go and do what I want. And you're still telling me that story. You are bullshitting yourself. You are absolutely lying to yourself. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying it's wrong. What I'm saying is it comes at a cost that I believe on occasion is often not worthy of paying. Hmm. And the last piece of this is this, and this is the critical piece. If you go and do a job or you're doing, you run a business that you do not love, doesn't bring you joy. And you, you've got to manage your expectations. Don't expect to be happy and yeah. fully fulfilled and feel that the world owes you anything. So readjust your expectations and say, you're not going to be miserable. You just won't be able to operate at the same frequency as somebody else that you know who's in alignment in their work. And the last piece of this is that when people do that, and they're building a widget that they hate, and they're operating a business they hate, what happens is they put undue expectations on the two other relationships in their life, the relationship to the people they love, their business partner, their, their lover, their, their kids, to make them even happier. And they put this unwilling or un, un, unreasonable expectation on their own shoulders to be something they're not. So just manage the expectations. And if, you're not, if you can't find a way to do it full-time, at least do it part-time. Yep. In other words, I said to a guy one day, I said, You've got a guitar. He goes, yes, I didn't realize you were, you were a musician. And he goes, oh, I'm not really, because I've never been paid to play. And I went, oh, I never got that email. I didn't get that text. And I certainly didn't get the fact that says, in, in the universe today, you can only be something on the basis you get paid to do it. We, we don't, we don't, we're, we're literally not nurturing our soul, our creative being, by doing pottery, than painting, than, 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 than writing poetry, because we can't monetize it. Hmm. I mean, that is a tragedy. And it's that nurturing of self, of soul, of creativity, that gives you the, the platform to create ideas that will change the world and change your world as a result.
Yeah, I love that. I love I love what you say about changing your expectations because I'm I'm a big logic kind of a guy, and that just makes logical sense to me. People have this expectation out of life to be the happiest that they are, the most fulfilled that they are, and they go they they check off the list. They do the things right. They get married, check. They get a job, check. They have kids, check. They have the picket fence, check. They got the they got the lawnmower to mow their grass on a Sunday afternoon, check. They got the afternoon nap. They do they do all the things right, and then they don't feel that feeling and then sitting there wondering why, but then looking at what their job actually does, the thing that they spend literally 40 hours plus every single week doing is something that does not fulfill them or make them happy in the least. And it just just makes sense. Like if you you can't expect to be the happiest person in the world if you're doing something for the majority of your week that by definition makes you unhappy. So I, I love what you say by, you know, I, I think it's just one of those two things. Like you got to either change your situation or you got to change your expectations, but you can't do neither one of those and expect the world. And, um, and, and so I, I love what you're saying going along those lines. One of the challenges with religion is religion has been placed above having authentic spiritual experience. Mm. And some people can get that in an absolutely religious context where they get a genuine spiritual mystical experience, that feeling of union with God or union with the divine or union with all life itself. However you want to feel it, it's this transcendent experience. Mm. That I wouldn't say is universal amongst all people in all religions. I think the religiosity of it has kind of made it just a, a program it's more ceremony than substance and i think if you're in that situation and it's fear and expectation and habit and momentum that's keeping you in those patterns i encourage you e- either through your faith or outside of your faith to try and find and feel and know that direct contact with divinity because i think that is i think and that divinity can be felt with within as well as it can be felt without. Like mm. that could be tapping into your own higher truth and understanding and knowledge and love and consciousness, or it can be felt externally as something that you might call God. Mm. But either way, the direct experience of it is essential. And that direct experience will inform all the language, all of the understandings, all of the constructs and paradigms, but the direct experience is primary. Mm. So you said that you were on a spiritual experiential journey from the time that you were 18 was that something that you consciously decided or was this something that was kind of in your past growing up like how did how did all that play well my father was trying to find ways out of the own his own prisons of his mind his own traps and the own ways that this is your biological father biological father and he stumbled upon the psychedelic medicine you know ritual path and he just offered that to me as a rite of passage when I finished and graduated high school. Hmm. And uh, I was somewhat terrified, but decided like, all right, let's go. And I was actually at the time kind of a pretty devout atheist, hmm. a, you know, um, you know, basically like um, really focused on what science had to say and materialist, reductionist kind of approach of... Yeah humanity because i i'd been exposed to religions and i didn't find any kind of affinity or understanding with them as a philosophy that i felt was held true enough for me to to follow it and it wasn't giving me any direct spiritual experience so i was like all right screw it i'll try but i went into this experience an atheist 
and felt my body evaporate in what could only be called my consciousness or maybe my spirit or maybe my soul depends on the language and vocabulary you want to use emerge and i was like oh shit i had a lot of things wrong Mm. about my atheist viewpoint like there is something more to life than just the cells in our body you know there's something that's animating this life form there's something behind it that's connected to all things and when i had that direct experience that direct knowing then i was like well now i got to start looking and i got to start looking inside myself i got to look through more experiences like this and i got to start looking in other philosophies religions experiences for you know more information about what i actually felt myself yeah because that, that's the whole thing right is like nobody can tell you that you didn't experience what you knew that you experienced right? right so like other people might be able to say or talk into that conversation right and say well there isn't a god or there is a god or it's actually his name is allah or whatever you want to say but bottom line nobody can go back and take that experience away from you so once you had that inside of you you immediately were just like there's something more to this i want to know what that is yeah would you recommend people start at the same place that you started no um some people might and in the right set and set i had um, just an amazing set and setting i had a beautiful shaman in the mountains and it was a beautiful setting and she had a long history and tradition of offering these ceremonies and it was really an ideal setting for that initial vision quest. Hmm. Um, that's hard to find. That's hard to replicate that exact thing. It is a path. And if that's available to you and if that's calling to you, or even if you want to take the precautions and read someone like Jim, you know, Fadiman's psychedelic explorers guide, or, you know, do some of the more medical protocols that are being offered by Hefter, USONA and maps for some of the psychedelics that are available now that are ultimately going to be approved by the fda hopefully 2021 somewhere around there there's going to be opportunities but really i think it starts with some other experiential practice and that would probably be meditation flotation ecstatic dance you know holotropic breathing or shamanic breathing or some other experience that helps alter your state of consciousness without the use of any type of plant psychedelic or medicine and would ayahuasca be the first one that you would start with nope <laughs> i mean it could be it could be but it's not like what i would recommend general, though, yeah it's yeah it's not be. it's not like i would be like yeah definitely it might be it might be the absolute right thing yeah you know it, it very well might again it depends on what where you are whether you're called to it whether it's the right set and setting but if anybody's going to do ayahuasca but they've never been in a float tank a sensory deprivation tank or they've never been meditating and they've never done yoga and they've never done ecstatic dance and they've never done shamanic breathing and be like I don't know, man. I mean, I'd knock some of those out first. Mm. You know, I'd like get used to the easy ways to get into altered states of consciousness and actually start to work through some of that stuff. Mm. Or even just practicing working through the resistance that comes naturally in life, like taking a cold bath. Like Wim Hof is famous for saying cold is an emotion. And it really is. You know, I have mm. a I have an ice bath at home and it's 38 degrees and damn that's cold right <laughs> but when i get out every single time i feel freaking amazing yeah amazing so recognizing that when i'm going in all right there's a physical sensation that's uncomfortable but really what that is it's an emotion it's an emotion of fear and protection that's kind of coming up so the practice of working through that emotional resistance and surrendering to the thing that i know is of benefit to me that's helpful too you can you do that with heat as well you know a sweat lodge is the ceremonial version but spending time where you you know just 
safely, but push it a little bit in a sauna or a steam room or a hot bath hmm. and, and practice some of those things first. Because, you know, ayahuasca is a trial by fire. Sometimes it's really chill and sometimes it's going to throw you up against your greatest, deepest, darkest fear. And you have to have some training to help you that you can rely on a breath work practice, a movement practice, a, a practice of working through resistance, of tackling the kind of issues that might come up in your mind. That's going to be really helpful. Do you find that personality plays into it at all? For sure. I mean, you are, your personality is an expression of the collected set of ideas personal history beliefs everything that you hold and your natural tendencies towards aversion or towards projection or towards escapism or towards addiction or towards whatever whatever these things are these are all going to be things that you have to confront so you know personality there's some light elements of it like your the way you smile and the jokes you make and the you know mm. kind of things but there's also deeper versions like what is what is your safe place? What do you do when things are hard? What do you do when you're afraid? Do you get angry and the anger creates distance? Are you, is, that, is that your escape? Or do you shut down and block out the rest of the world and armor up? Are you an armor? Are you like an armadillo? Or are you like a wolverine? Are you like, like what, is the, what is your nature? Hmm. And like really asking questions about who you are because that stuff's going to come up. And then being able to track that like awareness of those patterns is really crucial. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So we've touched on discovering who you are and that kind of a thing a few times now in this conversation. If that concept to somebody listening is just completely foreign, where do they start? 
I think, again, it's um, you have to get still and you have to be curious and like ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Ask yourself why you're, if you're stressed out, it's not like, I think a lot of the paradigm is like, oh, you're stressed and anxious. Oh, take this pill. You know, we'll fix that. Yeah. But at some point you got to ask yourself why, mm. you know, like I always, I have this theory that it's not marijuana that makes you paranoid and anxious it's that it reveals your natural paranoia and anxiousness that's already there right mm. so like we have this kind of idea that oh it's this thing that's making me this way but really if you get curious then you might understand well actually i have this desire to please everyone and it's putting constant pressure on myself and i'm trying to adulterate and manipulate my speech to get people to like me because i'm worried that people <clears throat> don't like me and i'm worried that i'm not enough and i'm worried that i need love externally mm. when really i should be looking for it internally so you have to get curious, inquisitive, and quiet. And I think those practices that I've kept mentioning, meditation, yoga, flotation, dance, all of these things are ways where you can get your mind still, flow state, breathing, get your mind still enough to start asking the right questions. So the real success, the empty mile exists and the people that can enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent pursuit of their t- potential, what I call a habit machine. If they can create a habit machine where their being is one in which you can effectuate what you want by consistently doing it, yeah. then you can be like, oh, I want to lose weight. Okay, I'm going to do this every day. Oh, I want to be stronger in my right arm. I'm going to do this every day. Yeah. Oh, I want to make more money. I'm going to do this every day. Oh, I want to improve my relationship with my kids. I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to improve whatever. That's, that's what's the key component in there? Being able to create a habit machine where I think about what I want to do every day and I'm out of my own way, meaning my ego is not corroding the connection of what I know to be true. Yeah. You list out three things. Tell, go around. This is an incredible experience. And I suggest people do it. Go and say three things in your life that you know are good for you that you don't do. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And we all have them. Yeah. There's three things, right? I shouldn't drink or right? I shouldn't right. smoke or I should whatever. Why are you doing them? Yeah. Right? There's other things that you can do to have fun. But, you know. Right. Working out, not working out. Which one do you think is better for you? Probably working out. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. But like, so why can't you do it every day? Right. Why, like, let me give you an easier one. Do you believe, I'm not, I hate to interview you, but I'm going to ask yeah. you the question. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe that if you say thank you every day for 30 straight days, morning and night, that'll change your life? Yes. If, do you truly believe that? I, I do. I, do you I do, do it? Yeah. I do not. Yeah, I know, no. me neither every yeah. day. I still miss. <laughs> right. I'm teaching this stuff. I, I know it in my heart and soul. Mathematically, yeah. I know it. Spiritually, I know it. To, to the point where a grateful person will look at their life and say, I have more lives to spend. Mm. Right? I'm so grateful. Yeah. That this life is just not it. And I can't prove it either way, and neither can anyone else. But I just decided that's the more grateful way to look at it. Mm. That I might as well live forever than not. <laughs> yeah, that's right? very true. Right, yeah. And it's just like saying, I get to do this, not I got to do this. Mm. Or you get stopped at a red light, and you're like, thank you. Right, because you know that it's a bigger piece of the puzzle, and that you stopping at this light was actually creating a better experience for you in some way or manner. Right, this yeah. is all just an attitude of gratitude. But yet, the most simplest things that we can do, ninety nine point nine percent of the people can't do them. Mm, yeah, and so I learned about all right, how do I get better at doing them? And then what 
what was what was the answer to that for you? Like how like what did you do? I lowered the bar. I mean, I I love simple answers. Yeah. Because the universe loves simple. So what I realized was if I want to do something every day, I need to lower the bar. I need to create as little resistance as possible. So I would set goals of doing something for a minute minimum a day and okay. see if I could do it for seven days. Or if it's like working out was one. And this is a true story. I got forty seven pounds overweight because I was traveling. And, and the reason was. I put my family first, then my work, and then my health. Hmm. So I never really focused in on my health. Never prioritized. Yeah, because there's always time, more time to spend with my family or work. Mm-hmm. Like I never, it was always like I don't have time to work out. Right. Oh, you know what? And I'm and my job is around drinking and desserts and, yeah. and fried foods right. and right. I'm good just <laughs> consistently gaining weight. That's what I was good at. And so, like you get there, and all of a sudden I said, okay, I need to work out. So what am I going to do? So I really use this to implement what now, seven days a week, minimum, I spend an hour a day on my health. Hmm. First, before my family and work. Yeah. So I readjusted my priorities. I first day said, I'm going to put my tennis shoes on. And so the night before I went to sleep, I laid out my tennis shoes with the socks. And so before I got on the shower, right, I woke up yeah. and I put the shoes on and I'm like, you know what? I put my gym shorts on, then I put my shirt on. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to drive to the gym. I kept inching myself, right? Yeah, right. Then I drove to the 24-hour fitness. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go in and do 15 minutes on the elliptical. Not hard, mm-hmm. right? Nice. I just want to stretch out. Like, mm-hmm. I hadn't worked out in so long. And I ended up 30 minutes on the elliptical and actually breaking a sweat, mm-hmm. feeling really good, got endorphins pumping, yeah. went home, and I said the next day, I laid the shoes out. And once again, back to the gym, back to yeah. the gym. Now it's the reverse habit, right? If I'm not working out, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I got to figure out something. I go to only hotels that have gyms. I do everything revolves around it. Right. And that's what we do in our entire life by getting the exponential growth and acceleration that we want out of something. It doesn't start without action. And so we're really good at saying, oh, you know, I need to work out. So I'm going to work out an hour tomorrow. Right. So from zero to hero, are you kidding? Yeah. So here's another. I'm gonna go from waking up at 10 a.m. not working out at all and eating sugar all day to waking up at 4 a.m. working out for three hours and eating broccoli at every meal. Yeah. Yeah. And and the best analogy is, let's be honest, if you want to do push-ups every day, Mm -hmm. right? Tell me who's gonna end up in a better place. The guy who does a hundred push-ups the first day and then is so sore that he can't do them for the next two weeks, or the guy who says, "I'm going to do one push-up." for three straight days and then I'm going to double it every third day because it'll be at 100 when I get to 300 days. Got it, yeah. Right? Right? Who's going to get there? I guarantee the guy that does one push-up for three days then two for three days then three for three days will make it to 100. Would would you say that then this whole conversation is leading me to the, you know, thought that consistency really is what it all boils down to? Absolutely. Do you know why? Because that's the way we're made. So here's the flow of our current. This is the flow of the objects in which we want. So our bodies, we're a system. Mm -hmm. And we have cellular memory, a cellular structure, an embodiment, which is our conscious. The way that we input data into our bodies is through the five senses. Mm -hmm. We see things, we smell things, we hear things, we taste things, we touch things. Period. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate part about that system is that our data is foggy. Our eyes don't work 100%. Our mm. nose doesn't work 100%. Our ears don't work. Yeah. You, you understand right. that. So what we try to do, though, is we try to be consistent of the 10,000 new data points, thoughts that we get yeah. about from the perceptions of the five senses. 
Well, if we can control and maximize the clarity of what the inputs are, keep them positive with gratitude and forgiveness, accountability and inspiration. Mm -hmm. If we're inputting into the embodiment, all 10,000 of them, none of them negative, Mm. right? None of them. But if it's all positive, well, that goes then into our neural pathways, the second part of our system, the subconscious. 40,000 of the same thoughts are brewing there. So the majority of the time, those are what we're inputting into our brain. The 40,000 thoughts, not the Mm 10,000. The majority is when you're sleeping, most of your inputs from these 40,000, that's already a third of your day. Wow. Right? Now, if we control what we're putting in, we're now controlling those 40,000 because the high vibrating, the more lightful thoughts, the more positive things that are electronically charged, mathematically higher than the other. It takes one particle of light to adjust a million particles of darkness, mathematically proven. Wow. Right, you're in a room of darkness and you turn a candle, mm. one particle of light cancels out a million particles of darkness. Wow. Really cool, right? Yeah. Same thing in your brain. One particle of light, a million particles of darkness. So if you're controlling 10,000 of these particles in their light, they're going into the 40,000 particles, more light, neural pathways are formed, now you're creating those habits. Mm. Right? Neural pathways are what creates habits. Yeah. Then the thing that most people have no idea about is the unconscious competency, which is your genetics, how that neural pathway system, the 40,000 particles or thoughts or whatever you call them in your subconscious are impacting your DNA, your personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions that have been carried down from four generations or more dependent upon your beliefs. Hmm. Could be four billion lives down to you or just four generations. I don't give a shit. Either way, you can activate the DNA that you want and de- deactivate the ones that you don't want, then even more complex is the unconscious competency of energy. As I spoke from before, I carry an energy of being able to track money. Mm, yeah. Right? And yeah. I can teach people to shift their energy. Yeah. So was, they attract say, their energy. So wait, do you just, you just born with this? Or is this like So remember, you... it's in my genetics. Yeah. Right? So yes. Yeah. I, I was born a certain way. And you know people that are born this way. You've yeah, seen them when sure. they're five. I was born that yeah. way. There's, there's no accident that nine months out of law school that I was making money. Mm-hmm. There's no accident that I was making money selling tennis shoes at four in the morning when I was in law school or educational systems right. when I was 18 years old making killer money. Mm-hmm. I have an unconscious competency. But what I have learned is I can teach people. Right? I think that's why my coaching and executive coaching, coaching the coaching business advisory, is that I am deep about, look, I'm going to teach you to put faith into what you want. People are like, what are you talking about? You know, you, you're world-renowned for this, and you're telling me it's faith-based? I'm like, yeah, it's faith-based. The aggregate of what you think, say, do, believe, and the unconscious competencies. I'm going to take you through with focus homework every day, mostly about a minimum of 10 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have you putting faith by your actions, your words, your thoughts, your beliefs, and your energy into what you want, and using your faith, that aggregate, just like money, as an object of current, as an object of energy to put into the currency, as a currency, into the current, the flow, which I call intention, right? What do I intend to happen that goes far beyond most people's imagination? We don't even imagine big enough. Hmm. But if I put the currency of faith into the current of intention, I'm going to learn consistently to get what I want faster and more accurately again and again and again and pretty soon you're one of those people they're like man he's lucky yeah right yeah that's all luck is it's someone that understands the currency of faith when you need 
mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.